Let's, uh, all I can say is let's make this a classic. We're back with another certified hood classic. Mm. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Mavs Film Room podcast coming to you on Monday, June 14th at 9.40 p.m. Central Time. This is an emergency podcast following a bombshell article published by Tim Cato of The Athletic titled Inside the Mavericks Front Office, Mark Cuban's shadow GM is causing a rift with Luka Doncic. That shadow GM is referring to none other than Herelibos Volgaris, a.k.a. Bob Volgaris. He is a former sports gambler and a guy who made a lot of money, like millions of dollars, betting on sports back in the day and is also a pretty well-known NBA Twitter personality. He's into cryptocurrency a lot these days, but the Mavs hired him uh, in, I think, October of 2018, right after they drafted Luka, and nobody really knew what his role with the team was at the time, but reading this article, it's become very clear that he is a very influential member within the front office and is kind of... The voice in Mark Cuban's ear when it comes to front office decisions, be it personnel or the draft or even things like uh, the rotations and lineups that Rick Carlisle puts out there. It's a pretty damning article and an indictment on the front office with a lot of interesting uh, nuggets in it. But I think probably one of the biggest pieces of information in this is that there is some tension between Paralibos, Vulgaris, and Luka Doncic, mainly in the fact that Luka, due to a couple of incidents mentioned in the article, does not have a very favorable opinion of Bob. And that has caused some within the Mavericks front office to be concerned about their ability to retain Luka long term. It needs to be noted that Luca plans on signing the Supermax extension when offered to him this summer. There's no change in that. But as we talked about on the previous podcast, this summer is important not because of whether it'll determine whether Luca will sign the Supermax extension, but it'll really determine how much he wants to be in Dallas three to four years in the future. And so this article is a huge endorsement of that sentiment and just further underscores how important of an offseason this is for the Mavericks. And we'll talk about this in great detail right now. First got introduced, my co-host as always, Rohan and Fuzzle. How is it going? Más o menos. Um, in my personal life, things are going fine. In my Mavericks life, well... I want to shoot myself and then shit myself and then die so in that order, perhaps. So <laughs> Relatable. I'm not going to lie. When this article dropped this morning, it was, I got into a dark place. <laughs> I'm not going to lie because the headline, um, especially I think that I saw when it was tweeted out by the athletic was um, sources. Uh, what was it? I think sources are like concerned about Luka Doncic's desire to remain in Dallas long term. And I'm like, holy shit, this is the article. This is the beginning of the end. Like this can only end one way. But of course, I read the article and it's obviously still a pretty 
you know, pretty damning indictment on the front office, but I wouldn't say it's that bad and that he wants out right now. That's, that's definitely not the case. Yeah, I'm glad that you started the episode out on that because there's a lot of nuance in this article. I want to give a shout out to Tim before I talk about literally anything. He's a great writer. He's a big reason why I'm doing this for Mass Film Room in the first place. He's a big reason why this exists just from a conversation or two. So he did good reporting. I don't want to shoot the middleman, but there's a lot of nuance to this that we're not really looking at on Twitter. Uh, I'm glad that you started out with the fact that Luca is going to sign that Rose extension, that Rose Max extension, which is about $200 million, right? Mm-hmm. We're talking about a couple of incidents on the court, and Luca wears his heart on his sleeve. We know this. He blows up at Mark Cuban, he blows up at Rick, but he's ultimately a pretty mature person. He's had to deal with huge organizations with many moving parts for a long time. So I I don't think that this is going to necessarily be a a straw that helps break the camel's back for Luca. I think that's an exaggeration. And I think largely the title of this article made the reaction worse than it kind of should have been. It is a scathing take on the front office and it really lends legitimacy to a lot of the criticisms that we and a lot of other people on Mavs Twitter and Mavs fans in general have been pointing out over the years. But... I think we have to look at it in terms of the front office politics because ultimately this is a business and it does contain so much front office politics that if you ignore it, you're risking your take being exposed in like six months. And we've said this already is that this article is as much about Luca and Bob as it is about the entire front office and how it's been run, not only for the last three years since Bob was hired, but really for the last like 10 years since they won the championship and, and maybe even before that too. I mean, we've talked at nauseum about the Mavericks inability during the Dirk years to really surround himself with quality talent. And we see it playing out again here over the last three years of Luca. And I just think that it, it speaks to a front office where there's too many chefs in the kitchen and too many people with trying to get their voice heard. And, and as a result, there's no clear, decision maker in the room and it's it's rubbing everybody the wrong way and that's caused some dysfunction and and i think that dysfunction is what's causing the internal concern with uh, whoever was the, the source for the story that that luca may not want to be in dallas long term if this kind of uh, dynamic continues and it's not like you got all these chefs in the kitchen you know it's not like they're all a bunch of ratatouille looking motherfuckers either they're all a bunch of like, you know, Homer Simpson looking asses where you pour <laughs> the cereal in the bowl and then the bowl sets on fire like that. That sort of shit's going on. So it's just nothing's good for anybody when it comes to the front office. I don't like the mudslinging of multimillionaires going at each other's job stability over the media and basketball. I, I don't. I'm really not with it, and that's what I think this boils down to, a a large part of this. And once again, I want to say that this isn't an indictment of Tim Cato's reporting, but it's very clear that 
Donnie Nelson has been given too big of a leash, and we've talked about that. And I'm not surprised that somebody analytics-based is looking at this situation and saying, hey, maybe you should tighten that leash up a little bit. His job should be in jeopardy, and I can take advantage of it. I don't fault Bob at all for doing that. He does have a confidence to him, and I don't agree with all of his takes at all. And I'm not sure he's the right man to be a GM, but I don't think his criticism specifically of Donnie, or at least the criticisms of people in his camp against Donnie's camp, are wrong. I think they're justified, and they line up with basically everything we said in the last episode, if you listen to that. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, the Mavs have had this power structure in place for a really long time, basically ever since Cuban bought the team in 2000 or 2001, whenever it was. And so I don't think hiring Bob in itself was a bad decision. I think maybe the way that they integrated him or, or either defined his role or didn't define his role was probably the real problem here. But I certainly think that having more of an analytics mindset is, is definitely something that is, is good for them, especially in this time. But, you know, when we sort of consider some of the things that have happened with this team in the past, like, for example, I don't know if you guys remember, in, in I think 2013, the Mavs hired Garrison Rosas hmm. to their front office, and it wasn't really clear what his role was going to be, much like the case with Bob. And I think about like three weeks later, after hiring him, they decided to part ways. And if you don't know about Garrison Rosas, at the time he was, I think, the assistant GM in Houston under Daryl Morey, who is famously an analytics-minded executive. And I'm sure the Mavericks brought him into their front office under the thinking that he was going to help them get to the future in terms of analytics and, and bring some of that perspective into their decision-making. But after reading this story, I can't help but think that maybe some of this tension with Donnie and the way that Donnie wanted to do things ended up coming to a head. And as a result, they couldn't decide on a suitable role. And they all agreed that parting ways was just the best option at that point. So I think... This is certainly reminiscent of that. Can I ask you both uh, a question? Do you, who do you think has the better view of the talent on this team and where you need to take the talent on this team? From what they have said, Donnie or Bob? I'll let you go first, Fazel. Okay, well, if we're going only by words, then maybe Bob, because Donnie said some really messed up things that... I vehemently disagree with, but if we're going by actions and the ones stated in the article, um, it's a little more up for debate, but Jay, let's hear your answer. <laughs> to clarify, I'm only saying Bob because I haven't heard shit about what he thinks, you know? So it's <laughs> like, you know, keep your mouth shut and you only risk people thinking you're stupid, right? <laughs> I'll, I'll get into that in a little bit. We do have some stuff that most people are not talking about that we do know is coming from his camp. So, but right, yeah, right. Jay, please. Yeah, yeah. So let's uh, dissociate Bob's execution here and rather just maybe talk about perspective. Right. I think I, if I had to choose, I'd go with Bob, to be honest with you. That, and that's, again, putting aside any feelings that Luca might have about him, just in terms of philosophy alone. I think it's been proven that over the last 10 years and, and arguably before that, too, that the Donnie Nelson, Mark Cuban strategy has not worked out. 
They have struggled time after time after time to surround Dirk with any semblance of top talent. And it's happening again with Luca. And it happened for the last 10 years. I mean, we don't even need to talk about it. It's, it's out there for everybody to see how every year they had some, you know, master plan to land this free agent and it never worked out. And ultimately it's a results driven business and the blame lies on those making the decisions and those building the team. I mean, why were other teams able to do it and the Mavs were not able to hit once in 10 years. Right. And, and that's just talking about the process. Like we could talk about the results and how they might be better that off that they missed on guys like Dwight Howard and Kemba Walker and, you know, Hassan Whiteside. But the fact of the matter is they did not give Dirk a good enough team in his twilight years to try and compete. And they squandered away a generational talent on a, a cheap rookie contract. And now they have to pay him his extension all while having very limited assets to build this team forward. And they have one of the worst contracts in the league on their roster I mean, this is a very tough situation to navigate for the Mavs. And I think that's one of the big reasons why this story has, has come out now is because things are coming to a head after a decade of dysfunction. It's hard for any team to really get away with this unskated. And the Mavericks, you know, dodged a bullet for a long time when it came to media scrutiny. But as I said earlier, like, any team that's this unsuccessful for a decade is going to have a hard time keeping things in house like the Mavericks have been able to do over the last 10 plus years. But finally at this point, someone or some people within the front office are saying like enough is enough. Like this is becoming a dire situation and it could affect our ability to retain our generational superstar if it doesn't change. It is interesting given what you're saying, that the Mavs are usually so tight-lipped over the course of the last decade that we are hearing this many voices saying the same thing. And it makes sense. And I'm thinking of this purely based off of like a personal bias thing. Because we know in social situations when you've been around a person for a long time, when you had a manager for a long time, you're going to side with them because you know their decision-making better, you trust them more, you've been in more social situations with them, you feel like you know them better. I completely understand why there is less loyalty shown to Bob in this case. I'm not necessarily here to say he deserves that loyalty when he's trying to make a play for the GM job. That's not what I'm that's not the case I'm here to make. The case I'm here to make is number 1 that Mark Cuban's decision making is penultimate here and that's the biggest focus. We've seen over the years that his management decisions have been called into question and he tries to deny the negative criticism or compartmentalize it to a certain part of the organization. The more that we hear about these things, the more we realize because he is so vocal of a personality and as an owner, his business decisions also are social decisions. And that is dangerous. We're seeing the negative downsides of that in this article. The biggest criticism that I see is the 2020 draft stuff. I do want to quickly say, this is just my opinion, the idea that Bob is dictating Rick's lineups, I do not believe it for a second. Once again, I'm not trying to slander Tim Cato. I just do not believe it for a second. If Rick will not change his lineups for his star player sometimes, or to accommodate his GM, I doubt he's going to do it for their analytics guy. 
I'm going to have to push back on that uh, for a second because I agree with you on that last point that Rick is famously stubborn. I, I, I don't doubt for a second that he doesn't like people telling him what to do, but we have seen in recent years his willingness to embrace analytics a little bit more closely. A lot of the decisions he's made with regards to lineups and things of that nature have kind of reflected that. I mean, they play one of the more analytically friendly styles in the league. And so I think Rick has adjusted himself over the years as the article details. Um, he's adaptable as a mf -er, as it likes to say in there. And so I don't know. I mean, it's hard to really determine from this article, like how much power Bob is wielding over the in-game execution of things. But I think it's hard to deny the fact that, that there is some influence from him. I mean, just look at the season, right? Like the Mavs are playing one of their tightest rotations that they've ever played under Rick Carlisle, like an right. eight-man rotation for the whole year, which is something that Rick doesn't normally do. I mean, we usually see him go deep into the bench and try and get whatever he can out of players. But this year, um, it became very clear pretty early in the season that this was going to be a tight rotation. And we never saw more than than nine or 10 guys play on, on a given night. And that was a lot. So I don't know. I disagree with you in that respect, but okay. I think it is worth questioning how much influence Bob had there. Okay. So the first thing that I, I will say is like, we all know that the person who's making the substitutions physically is Rick. Mm -hmm. right and rick is known as a good collaborator as a coach like his his stubbornness can be called into question but he's coached competent benches for a decade i am inclined to believe that if he's making a decision on the lineup that's his decision because he has carte blanche the same way that donnie nelson does that's the thing that's hard for me to understand because the issue with the mavs organization is they everyone's on too long of a leash in a lot of senses here, I didn't buy that one section of the story, but I am concerned with the almost in-two-minds decision-making in the off-season regarding, let's say, the draft or Seth Curry, for example, because... Or DeLon Wright, for that matter. Or DeLon Wright, for that matter, as well. <laughs> because, once again, I said I agree with some decisions, I disagree with some decisions. Bob, or at least Bob's camp people who are suspected to be in Bob's camp have basically come out and taken credit for that Seth Curry signing in, I think, 2019. Mm -hmm. um, and essentially said that was his decision-making. And then the Josh Richardson trade explicitly from multiple sources was Donnie's decision. Um, so that's one judgment call that you have to make. Like, it, just purely from their opinions, not from w what they did, because we have no idea what context they were operating in. I see his take as more in line with ours, which is what confuses me about the general take, which is, oh, Bob, we're going to kick you on your way out the door. Like, I don't think that reflects well on the Mavs front office that we're now basically calling out this guy in his last year of his contract when there's like a week left. Like, if this was a problem, we should have heard about Luca telling him to shut the fuck up, or did you just tell me to calm the fuck down, or whatever the hell? Yeah, we should have yeah. heard about that during the season. The fact that we're hearing about three incidents months afterwards makes me think that there's a reason people are choosing these specific stories, and there's a... Like, I, this is not Tim Cato's fault, but... 
people in executive positions are known to use the media to push a narrative in a certain direction. There's no doubt that the source behind this story is either Donnie Nelson or someone or some group of people that's, you know, more sympathetic to him. Um, I mean, with, with some of this other stuff, I mean, from all the interviews that Tim has been doing today, um, it seems like a lot of this stuff has gained momentum maybe over the last few months or so. And it's come to the point where he said he's comfortable, you know, releasing the story and publishing it. Uh, so I guess I understand why some of these things haven't come out. Like on the on the note of the the story that he mentions, where uh, in a game against the Warriors in February, uh, they turned the ball over and, and Bob was sitting uh, front court or sitting courtside and kind of motioned to Luca as if to to calm down uh, and and Luca yelling back at him like, "Don't fucking tell me to calm down." Um, that reminds me of something similar uh, to what happened back in the Dirk years in, in 2010 in their championship season. And this is from the book, The Soul of Basketball by Ian Thompson. Again, highly recommend you guys to read that if you haven't, because there's a lot of good math stuff in there. But this was a game against the Bulls, I think, in November of that year, early in the season. And similar situation, uh, Dirk like passed up on a shot and the Mavs lost the ball and I think Rick, or sorry, Mark Cuban yelled at Dirk to play better and Dirk just yelled at him to like, shut the fuck up. And I can't help but, but see that as kind of like emblematic of what's wrong with this front office and what has been wrong with this front office for so long. There's a common denominator to all of this. And he just followed us on Twitter a few days ago. <laughs> <laughs> Similar to you, Rohan, I, I find the concept that Bob is dictating Rick's rotations a little hard to believe. But I think in the article, doesn't it say like at some point Rick decided enough is enough and he decided to uh, go in the favor of the players when giving out minutes and making rotations because it just wasn't working out. And, you know, he had to loosen up and be uh, easier on Luca and let him have the reins a little more. Um, so I feel like basically the overall tone of that article is just that, you know, Bob comes into his position as the director of what is it? Player analytics or something, um, in 2019, around the same time as Luca getting drafted, uh, everything's going, I guess, okay at first because, Hey, you know, some good things happen. We sign Seth Curry, we make a move for DeLon Wright, and then slowly he kind of, it's just him gaining more and more power, more sway in the organization because, because he has Mark Cuban's ear. Um, and now it's led up to this where he's like telling people how to do their jobs. And if you don't do that, there, of course, if you do that at all, not many people will take kindly to that, especially those entrenched in their positions like the Mavs front office. But especially if you're going to do that in a not so friendly way, like, uh, you know, Bob probably does because he's never been described as a people person. Uh, that's just, it's going to lead to this dysfunctional bullshit. So, yeah. Um, and, look, e even if he has a point, you know, I, I'm not, it's, if you're not going to make that point the right way, uh, this isn't a video game. Like, we got to get rid of you. <laughs> oh, the problem fair. is, like, they, they drafted the consensus best player in 2018 in Luca. And I mean, quite frankly, got lucky that three teams decided to pass on him. 
and then spent the last three years gloating about how smart they were that they've drafted this amazing player who everyone knew was going to be good. And look where that's gotten them now. It's, it's, it's led them to, quite frankly, an existential crisis in a year in which they should be looking to the future to take the next step. But instead, there's just so many questions about what's going to happen now, and there shouldn't be. Here's my point, okay? The issue with all of this, as Jay pointed out, comes down to Mark Cuban and just not being able to compartmentalize that decision and delegate it to one person, right? Delegating different decisions to different people on a whim is not a way that you want to run an organization like this. Like, it's that explains so much. It explains why some decisions are made with one outlook in mind and some decisions are made with another outlook in mind. But I have to add to all of this because shout out to user Julian underscore Caesar on Reddit. Everything that I say from this point on is speculation and detective work. There is nothing confirmed or journalistically verified about this. But I am going to at least regurgitate what I have understood about it so that we can discuss it a little bit further. You may remember... A couple days ago, after the Mavs lost in Game 7, there was a video that popped up on Reddit that very methodically went through Donnie Nelson's moves in the front office. Have you all seen that? Yeah, I haven't watched it, but I know what you're referring to. So that Redditor has only existed for five days. And that Redditor's name is user March19 underscore 2005 PLS quit. Please quit. Now, user Lucamania41 went with the galaxy brain take. He looked up that date. Guess what that date is? The day that Donnie Nelson was hired. The day that Donnie Nelson was hired. So his entire the entire point of the account is for is to push Donnie being fired, right? Furthermore, multiple comments from the account responding to criticisms of Bob have come out and i'm going to read these comments aloud okay this is a criticism of bob maybe bob shouldn't be such a pompous prick and maybe be better at his job then he wouldn't have to be worried about quote unquote an orchestrated attack lmao y'all wildin you bad at your job and you're an ass criticism is coming like it or not i i don't necessarily like the how you know abrasive that was but i i do understand the criticism and i think it is objectively true that that criticism is due but this response is really telling and this is why i have this entire situation to me is not as it seems perhaps he's done more than okay at his job which carlisle would attest to were he not a hostage and the brass which hasn't been challenged since 1999 sees him coming then, Tim Cato's DMs with this user are made public. Well, I'm not going to read those aloud. But in essence, one of the comments from this user is, Haralabob was the architect behind the Luca and Brunson picks. Mark was so impressed, he delegated Bob to other parts of his empire, leaving Donnie with the basketball. Thus, the results we see now. Take that with a grain of salt. It's a very ambiguous way of talking about things, and I don't necessarily think it's true that we should give Bob the credit for the Luca or Brunson picks, because 
Because Bob wasn't even hired on the Mavs at that point. But I think somewhere in the article it says that uh, Mark Cuban had been consulting with Bob many years prior to his hiring with the Mavs. Right. So Mark clearly trusted him, and that's the reason why he got hired. Right. So the reason why Tim reached out to this user is because of the Donnie video. And he was reaching out because he wanted to know whether this person had any insider information. Here's what this user said before the comment that I just read. Yeah, let's just say my very reliable sources told me Luca signing the extension, don't mention my name. Tim Cato later says, I didn't know this person's name. There's some speculation that don't mention my name is because this might be Bob himself and Tim and Bob have interacted in the past. But obviously that's really reaching and I wouldn't really rest any confidence on that. What I will say is this entire conversation and everything before that leads me to believe that this is somebody who is close enough to Bob to know his decision making, to know how he feels about things. At least close enough to have opinions tangentially related to Bob. And that's very telling because if Mark has been consulting him for this often and his confidence is like Bob's confidence is so high in basically everything unearned or not. He's a gambler. It kind of has to be. So my issue here is with Mavs fans in general turning their focus from the roster construction onto specific atomized incidents and bad decision making from Mark Cuban in terms of delegation. We shouldn't just turn off the fire Donnie switch and then start hitting Bob. Like, all of this is a horrible situation and we need to critique it from the top on down. The reason why I bring up all of this information is it shows you there's so much politics at play behind the scenes. And I don't want to name any names, but with the interactions we've had with certain media members over the past week, we do know that there are there is influence from members of the Mavs organization and their vested interests and media members. And it would be naive of us to ignore that in our commentary of it. Yeah, there's definitely a reason why legacy media didn't have this story and Tim Cato and The Athletic did, because this is just not the kind of thing you really expect the, the local media or anyone else close to the team to really try and pro because a lot of their access relies on it but um yeah that's a little bit dig digressing but uh, i think it, it's worth noting because um in the article tim says he couldn't reach bob for for a comment on the story so i with with regards to your um you know the reddit thing i don't think that that user itself was necessarily Bob, but clearly it was somebody with advanced knowledge of the situation. Yeah, the user themselves also commented in another thread, I'm friends with Bob and do not appreciate this orchestrated attack by Nelson and his clique. Obviously, do not take any of this as me siding with any portion of this menagerie. I don't care. I genuinely do not care for any of them. But it's interesting to me that we're seeing legacy management throw their weight around against aspiring new age management this is a very interesting ordeal that i think we're going to look back at it in a couple of years and be like this is more memorable than the garrison rosas thing this is definitely oh, easy, more memorable easily that. easily because nothing has really come out in such a way that it did 
today where it was like the franchise or there's concern that the franchise star right. is going to want out because of this dynamic. Nothing of that sort happened during the Dirk years. And that's why this feels so remarkable because as we've always said, the, the Dallas front office has been notoriously tight lipped. They usually don't let things like this get out, but it, it did because there were people within the organization that felt strongly enough that they needed to get the story out. And, and, and And, you know, my first thought when seeing the story was like a sense of dread, but then it soon turned into a sense of relief because, you know, we've been talking about this for, for years now about how the 2019 offseason and, and other offseasons were a failure and none of the decisions that were made since that point are indicative of a functioning front office. They're just not. I mean, you can't look at the 2019 offseason where they signed nobody or – You know the this the Josh Richardson trade, which well they signed I, I think they signed Seth, right? They signed Seth, but like they had a max cap slot that year, in a, in a year in which sixty seven percent of the league switched teams, and and they signed three three like outside guys. They signed Seth, they signed Delon Wright, and they signed Boban, and two of those three guys are not with the team anymore, and that's. That's just dysfunctional. There's no yeah. other way to put it. There's no rhyme or reason to the decisions, which going back to the article itself and actually talking about the article, um, Tim Cato is right when he was saying on... Tim Cato said on Locked On Mavericks earlier that this story was building up and if he does believe that if he didn't report on it, somebody else would have. Um, so I'm glad he did report this because now we're learning a lot more about the situation and we can adjudicate ourselves with that information. We have a better understanding of the nuance. Everything boiled down to not putting fault on Donnie or Bob here, simply talking about the way the organization is working and how that will frustrate Luca. You cannot have this many cooks in the kitchen. Fazl said it earlier. Like... You're having, you're having Donnie, who is a legacy basketball guy, and then a new age basketball guy that basically operates in sports betting and analytics. Like, obviously, they're going to clash heads. You have Rick Carlisle, who's like legacy player coach, has been in the league for a very long time. Like, clearly, your entire organization skews towards tenure, right? When you bring in a guy like this, it's going to cause dysfunction, and you have to be cognizant of that. The fact that he wasn't is an indictment of his leadership skills as an owner. So I'm looking forward to hearing the further reporting on this because I'm sure there will be more as this offseason goes on. I'm interested in talking to people on different sides with different opinions on this entire saga. And might I add that Seth Curry wasn't even our first target. We wasted so much time trying to go after Danny Green before we landed on Seth. It's funnier that the user that wanted to fire Donnie also did not take credit for that. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, again, this isn't really to say that, that Donnie is not at fault here because all this really does is confirm our suspicions and criticisms about the front office over the last decade. And clearly something needs to change. And, you know, with, with, with regards to Bob, and, and we already talked about how the idea of Bob or somebody like him is not necessarily a bad thing. And I think it should have happened earlier. 
But if you were to get somebody in the front office with a profile like Bob, somebody who's not really worked in sports, despite knowing a lot about sports, you need to understand that if that there's going to be some change that has to happen if you want him to be a prominent decision maker in the organization. You have to understand that Donnie Nelson is probably not the right person to be the president of basketball operations if you're going to hire someone like Bob to be in place. You you got to get somebody more analytics friendly or more new age to run that side of the team so that bringing in someone like Bob as an outsider is a little bit smoother and a little bit more functional. The issue that's happened here is, like you said, you have all these guys with tenure, Cuban, of course, being the owner, Carlisle, who's been there for 13 years, Donnie Nelson, who's been there for for 20 years. Uh, and all of a sudden you bring in this guy who is completely different from all of them. Um, and And basically you don't define a role for him. The Mavs never ever said what his role is and so they've kept it under wraps and it's just kind of ballooned into the situation where nobody knows who's calling the shots. I mean, Tim Cato said in the article that league sources outside of the Mavericks are unsure who is the one that they need to contact for, you know, trades or other transactions. There's just confusion about who is the decision maker in Dallas. And that's a problem. That's a problem for for obvious reasons and and then also we haven't even talked about the basketball implications of this about how they're facing such an important summer now where they got to attract some talent to Dallas there's and there's clearly going to be changes in the front office that come with this how are you going to attract other people to come and work for the Mavericks let's say that that Donnie Nelson and the Mavs decide to part ways after this i don't know if that's what's going to happen but let's let's say something like that happens. Who are you going to bring in to run the the basketball operations? Because clearly, I don't think Bob can do it right now. No, he's yeah not not a not a people person. He's already rubbed the franchise player the wrong way allegedly. So he's not the guy to run that. Even though it seemed like that's what was going to happen. So it's like, who do you bring in, and who wants to step into this dysfunctional situation right now? That's a real problem, and we haven't really discussed that. To, yeah, I, I'm so glad that you mentioned the conflict between both of their management styles. Obviously, I think all of us are very critical of Donnie, and I think all of us have at least at one point said that he should be let go. The issue with this is Mark isn't wanting to make a decision, right? If you have dysfunction, it's because... You had an organ transplant and your body rejected the new one, right? Like, it, it doesn't make sense to me that if you're going to keep Donnie in his position, that you would bring in a successor that is so antithetical to all of the things that he's already built. He is a people person. He's been in the organization in the NBA forever, right? He knows people all, every single interaction that I've seen of people one-on-one -on -one with him seems to be a like good, right? Meanwhile, you have Bob, who is known as not a people person. I'm not surprised that we have more stories that are critical of Bob than we do of Donnie coming out in the media. My point is, just because those are the stories we're hearing doesn't mean that we should ignore the fact that all of those stories probably exist. And I'm glad that all three of us are on the same page in what this means for the organization. But my question to Fazel 
unless Falsy, you want to go on your own tangent, is how can the Mavs kind of twist this for this offseason? Because there is an element of like that analytics-based way of playing that resembles the way that Houston played with Harden. And we obviously you can see some similarity with the way that they're playing Luka. How much do you think that changes? Do you think that... And how do you think that affects how their offseason should go? Um... God, I'm going to answer this the best I can, but that is that is a question that I don't think there's a very, very simple answer for. Because, I mean, first of all, there are so many ways to improve the team. You know, you can get a competent big man who can defend. You can get a guard who can make plays. Um, you can get a wing who does some of everything. And to that point, I believe that I think... Mark and maybe Rick are aligned on wanting a playmaking wing who can, you know, shoot, shoot from deep and play defense as well to a certain extent. Um, I'm almost certain that Mark said that. So, yeah, he did. Yeah. On, on that note, I'd say that that's a pretty good place to start off, especially because again, the enduring vision for Cubans ideal team is to emulate the 2016-17 Warriors and have a bunch of like, you know, wings, superstar level wings who can do some of everything and, you know, they can play small and not be horribly outsized, um, stuff along those lines. And I think that's what we've been trying to do all these years and I'm supportive of that vision. So yeah, that's something I'd be positive, you know, that's something I'd be in favor of getting. But um at the end of the day, I do suppose it comes down to just getting more star talent in general, more high-level talent. And, you know, how we mentioned last time, last episode, how the team's been too focused on Moneyball, you know, trying to get the market inefficiencies. No, now it's time to, like, actually cash in on all that shit, right? Getting talent, major talent in that way, this offseason, you know, whether it's in free agency or by trade, there's going to be ample opportunities for that. Uh, you know, there's really just any variety you can go for. You know, you can get yourself a Miles Turner, a Rashawn Holmes, um, uh, what's his name, DeRozan, who is probably my pick for now, uh, Lonzo Ball or Kyle Lowry, whoever. Like, the point is, you know, you just got to get one of those dudes, right? Yeah. But to your question on how we're going to do that, what we're going to do to convince any of these guys why Dallas is such a good destination, um, I guess you kind of do have to sell them on the fact that if you get more high-level talent, then Luca won't have to play like James Harden 2.0 as much, and they're going to be able to put up their own game, play their own game, and get all that recognition and play for an elite team. Because, you know, anybody, I do, I think we're all in agreement here that anybody who's good can mesh with Luca really well. Exactly. So, yeah. Look, you know, you can even sell them on the fact that you're probably going to be the number two guy and Kristaps is going to be the number three guy until he can, like, get back to being... Well, okay, you don't actually say this, but until he can get back to being better. Um, so there's going to be... There's no shortage of opportunity here for whoever signs with us, whoever gets traded here. The only issue is just... If they can come to the team at all and we don't have to play like Dorian Finney-Smith as a starter or Maxi Kleba as a starter, you know, something along those lines. So that's really it. Now, as for how 
how probable that is with all the dysfunction that's going on right now and which, you know, which way this is going to happen. I don't know if that's going to happen. Like I'm kind of pessimistic here with this recent news. Um, the only way it happens, I feel is if there's like a near immediate resolution to this, whether it's like, I don't know, people getting demoted, Bob just going off the team in general. There will be. Uh, His contract is up on June 30th. He's, yeah, th- yeah, that's so why I, this is happening. Like, I don't think he's yeah. coming back. This was an excisement of him from the organization, and it was basically kicking him out. And then, anytime any future employer Googles him, bam, this is going to be out there. The only recourse he has, Bob personally, if he even wants to stay on the team by now, is um, maybe having Cuban in his favor. Maybe, but after this, I do think he's kind of burned in a way. So, yeah, I, I don't know. We're, we're going to have to see. It's Nobody has the answers, like literally nobody. So yeah. <laughs> um, even, even Tim doesn't have answers to it. I mean, um, so I, I think we've talked a lot about Bob on this episode because the article came out today that talked about Bob and he really wasn't talked about before that, uh, as not nearly as much. I think going back to what Jay and Faza, what you guys touched on in terms of the dysfunction, that dysfunction exists without him, right? If you look at what Mark and Rick said in terms of what they need this offseason. They're kind of on the same page. But then you hear what Donnie said, and you're like, okay, he's, at least outwardly, he is not on the same page with them. And that's what makes me nervous, because there is a middle ground, but I'm not sure whether they will actually be able to reach it. You're right, Fossil. They can pitch all of these guys on saying, hey, Look at Harden in Houston when you got Capella, Gordon, all these guys. He had to do less, right? All you need to pitch them on is, hey, our coach can can basically run the system so well for you. You're going to get drag screens. You're, we're going to run horns. We're going to do double screens on the left off ball for you. You're going to be wide open on the wing. What, Whatever you really need to pitch, because Rick is a wizard at that. They have all of the tools. The question is, are you premeditating it? And that's the issue. When you're when the organization is in dysfunction, you're not really pre-planning things as much and you're not going into things with as much purpose. And free agents can read that, right? People who want to be on your team, who want to be next to Luca, they love Luca's confidence. They love that he that he's so confident in how good of a player he is. They're confident they can be good next to him, that they can fit well next to him. You need to reflect that as an organization. The organization's not doing that right now. Listen, I think that the vision for the team around Luca that that perhaps Bob has introduced is overall a good one. I think like surrounding Luca with these three and D two way players in theory is good. The issue is the execution of it in that they, they took that vision a little too much to heart and literally signed guys who maybe met that criteria on, on a spreadsheet or, or you know, to, to use like the um, analytics stereotype. But they, they went a little bit too hard at that. I think this vision with some more skill in these type of players could really work. Um, we've yeah. seen it work before. Uh, on teams, successful teams like the Houston Rockets or like the Warriors. Um, and so I think there's something to it. But the issue is the way that they've gone about it in this money ball style is not working. Right. They need skill and they need talent. And, and, and that's what they lack right now. Yeah. I think some of that comes to convincing Luca that there is a player out there 
that's worth sharing the ball with because, I mean, if you were to ask Luca, I'm sure that this is the way that he wants to play. He's got the ball in his hands all the time. He's got near total control of the offense when he's on the floor. So I think that this is a style of play he enjoys, but as we've seen it, it, it can be successful in the regular season, but in the playoffs, it gets exposed. And we've seen it two years in a row now, and there's no denying it. And so I think we've already discussed, and it's, it's abundantly clear basketball-wise what's needed to, so, on the team. Y- yes, uh, we have discussed that at length, and you're right. But on the last part, I don't think you're right. I think if you look at how Luca played at Real Madrid, like he was not the focal point in the way he is here. Obviously, it's a different stage all of that i get that my point is there's a system there that exists that did that did not do this right that they at least trusted other guys who could do other things the issue as you brought up is yeah you want to sign three and d players because they on paper and in your mind sound and look good next to Luka Doncic, but when they can't dribble and a play breaks down in the playoffs, your analytics don't mean shit. At least, specifically, your analytics don't mean shit. There are analytics that will give you more information on that, how efficient a player is after one, two, three dribbles. In fact, Fazo could tell you a lot about that. He uh, did a deep dive for Seth Curry a couple years ago on that very statistic, and I'm sure that involved uh, that was involved in signing him in regarding the Mavericks' decision-making, considering that that is something that he's so uniquely good at. But the issue becomes when you trade that guy for a guy who can't do those things, right? Um, it's tough. It's tough to deal with. <laughs> I'm losing my mind. Um, <laughs> this is... Who, who do you... Like, how do you go to, like, for example, DeMar DeRozan and be like, hey, come join our team, DeMar. <laughs> we think you would be so good next to Luca. <laughs> Here are analytics that would show how good you would be after he reads this article. Like, I do think this is going to sour the perspective of a lot of other teams and a lot of other people in the league, and that's probably the worst effect that we're going to see from it. The way you do it is that you get you get someone else new in the front office that that can you know clean this up and probably has a better relationship with players in the league. I mean that that's really the only way to do it. If you ask me, I don't know who that guy is, and as Fazel said, we don't really have the answers on that. But that's just the obvious solution to me is that this kind of dynamic can continue going forward, and. I kind of want to transition to probably our final topic here because it's, it's relevant to this discussion and that's Rick Carlisle's role in all of this, where he kind of falls in. Uh, it's been reported quite extensively now that, that over the years, Luca and Rick have had some tension. And in the article, Tim goes as far as to suggest that some think that Luca has tuned out Rick completely. Um, that's, I've, I've heard that maybe a year or two ago. Um, But it also mentions that Rick has adapted a lot um, over the years, specifically since they got Luca in just the way that, that Rick talks about Luca. He's always very complimentary about him. There's clearly an awareness that this is the franchise player and they can't screw it up. Um, You know, even as far as the way that Rick manages the team and manages the rotations and the on-court execution Rick is famously a very hands-on coach when it comes to calling players. Um, 
and dictating what goes on on the floor. But Luke or, or Rick has ceded that control to Luca um, ever since he got here as a rookie because Rick recognizes how special of a talent Luca is, and also understands that Luca does not like the overbearing, high play calling style. That's just not something he wants to do, and. He's adapted, so credit to Rick for doing that. The issue is Rick has this reputation in the league with players as a hard ass and someone who has butted heads with guys. And I wonder if that's going to be an impedance to improving the team. And even if, despite all of Rick's adaptation over the years, if that's going to be enough to keep him in Dallas long term. I mean, I'm sh- that's still a huge question that's unanswered to this point. I think he's here for the foreseeable future. Long term, though, I I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I I think that if they have another year like they had this past season, I'm not totally sure that Rick is going to be the coach um, in 2023. Yeah, 2022-2023. I'm really not sure because um, in this article and another thing that I've heard is just that when, when Mark Cuban put out that statement right after Game 7 saying that Rick's job was safe with the Mavs, it came as a shock to a lot of people. Um, the article says that there was a lot of uncertainty about Rick's future with the team given how the season was going and given how previous seasons went. So when Mark Cuban released that statement, it was surprising to a lot of people. Uh, but that that just confirms the fact that nobody's role with the team right now is safe and that the front office changes on the horizon could only be a precursor for bigger things to come, like like coaching changes, because we know how close that Luca is with Jamal Mosley, the assistant coach. Wait, so you think there are going to be personnel changes on this team over this offseason? Like you think there are going to be management uh, personnel that are switched? I mean, th- there there has to be. I mean, I don't think... As Tim Cato has said, I guess, in in several interviews today, um, like we mentioned, he felt like regardless of whether he reported on the story or not, it didn't change the actual happenings of it. And there was going to be um, some sort of shift that came in this offseason. This offseason was just so critical in many ways, and it was just building up to this point. So, uh, And now, especially after this this, uh, story has come out, I, I just don't see a way that you run it back with the same front office again. That would be basketball malpractice. It would be, but I'm so pessimistic that I think it's going to happen at this point. Do you remember when they showed... You're not wrong to be, yeah. Do you remember when they showed Dwight Howard a comic book? Or when when Mark Cuban's master plan was a point guard, Dwight Howard and Dirk Nowitzki, and he he missed the meeting with Darren Williams, who wanted to be here for a Shark Tank episode. We remember all of that. Um, at this point, we are not even a Mickey Mouse franchise. Disney has way more credibility than the Dallas Mavericks as an organization do. And that's insane to think about because Disney parks have killed a lot of people. Look it up. We're a DreamWorks-ass franchise. <laughs> Bro, we're even worse. <laughs> Kung Fu Mavericks. <laughs> I got, a, I got a question for y'all from a, from a dedicated listener. My friend Ruther has been always asking me questions and I never mentioned it on here, but I got to get this one in because we're on that topic right now. But uh, his question is, if you put Luca on 
any other team in the league, how many teams would be worse than the Mavericks are? Zero. Zero. Nobody has to think um, about that question. Rick might get those guys <laughs> into like into like playoff, like almost close to smelling the playoffs, but they would still through every single measure of basketball, be the worst team in the league that is assembled. It doesn't matter like how well they are coached, you know, <laughs> or what their record is necessarily, unless they like do really well. I take that question to mean if you put Luca on any other team in the NBA, how many teams would be would have a worse showing than when the Mavericks did this oh, season? Oh, okay. Um, I yeah, think yeah. I don't know. Only like also, you cut out for us, dude. Just slow down; it'll catch up to you. I think our internet's bugging out. Because you're frozen on our screen. <laughs> He's frozen in time like the man's front office. <laughs> I'll go ahead and answer the question. Uh, can I, can I re-answer the question? Because if that's the way that we're reading it, then it's... Yeah, like, yeah. It's basically like how many, how many rosters without Luca are worse... Or sorry. How many rosters with Luca are worse than the Mavs this season? Yeah, or take take Luca off the Mavericks. How many teams are they? Well, that's the than? one that I that's the one that I answered. Okay, but, it's kind of two sides of the same coin. There. Well, yeah, but I I think there is an answer on the other side. I think there are teams that have bad coaching or just are not in good positions right now. I would say Detroit. Detroit is one of those that like they would not be doing. They they just would not be doing as well as the Mavs. Um, I believe because they don't have certain things that the Mavs have to make that talent disparity narrower. Yeah, I think if if you put Luca on any and every team on the league, the only teams that would be worse than the Mavs with Luca is probably like Detroit, Orlando, and Houston. I think every other team would probably Orlando? Be Dude, Orlando might go to the finals if they have Luka Doncic. Are you kidding me? I don't know about Cole, that. Cole Anthony Markel like okay, yeah, you can say that their guys are young, Mobamba is like a, a whole, but like John Isaac, they just got Hampton. Like that's a young team with a lot like they have a lot of growing to do. I feel like they're almost perfect next to Luka. They are, but they're still relatively unproven, so we don't know how that's going to pan sure, out. But that's the only also, reason I say All of our guys are unproven. The issue is they're like 32. So, like, you know, I would rather have young guys who are like blue-chip prospects that have all been picked, at least in the lottery in the draft, who have that potential and can create for themselves around Luka Doncic. They would be so much better. Like, come on, you know that. I don't know. I, I disagree about Orlando, but I guess this is pretty true. You think point, you think Cole <laughs> Anthony wouldn't be the second best player on the Dallas Mavericks? Come on, John he Isaac would, is better would, than but, every single big the Mavs have had in their entire goddamn he got, history. He got injured. He got injured though. But yeah, I mean, I see what you're saying though. The Mavs lack creators, and 
Um, you know, in, in theory, that team could pan out to be better. But the Mavs are, are a team constructed such that the, the whole is greater than the sum of their parts. So that's the only reason why I might give them the benefit of the doubt when it comes to a comparison with a team like Orlando, if you put Luka on, on, on them. The only Anyways, teams yeah. that I see uh, fitting this are OKC, Houston, Detroit, and Sacramento. Every, like... 25 other teams apart from the Mavs, I think would be better with Luke on them. Like, I think Sacramento would actually be a championship contender if they had Luke. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I guess if you throw their organizational dysfunction to the side. I don't know. I just don't trust Luke Walton as the coach to get the most yeah. of them. I think they'd be a playoff team, but they wouldn't be much better. Or, Obviously, the they have a lot working against them, and I could see the case that you would make, but I can't see the Thunder, because I feel like if they had Luka, there's no way they would be tanking. They have Shea, him, Dort, um, and they would have Horford. Like They have enough pieces to at least play it out and get into the playoffs and try to make some noise. So, yeah, yeah. It's, that's a really interesting question. I'm glad you asked that. Yeah, I mean, I think we kept coming back to it in the playoffs about how the Mavs were probably the worst roster in the playoffs, like if you discount Luka. And I don't know. I personally think that if the Mavs didn't have Luka, this roster would probably be a bottom five team in the NBA. I think we all agree with that. And that just speaks to how critical this upcoming offseason is. It's, uh, it's time to put up or shut up for the Mavs in their front office, whoever is running it, come July 1st, or not July 1st, uh, whenever the hell free agency starts this year. In any case, things have finally come to a head with the Mavericks. There is no hiding from the situation at hand. This can either be a devastating point in the road for them or a tremendous opportunity for change and progress. But it's going to have to come from within and from the top. And if you are pessimistic or skeptical about that happening, you are totally within your rights because the track record suggests it. But I know that I'm going to be watching very closely as things unfold this summer. And if they don't change in a way that is satisfactory, I myself am probably going to be packing my bags along with Luca. Go ahead, Fossil. Um, I don't know, man. I, I'm I'm just fully depressed right now. Um, <laughs> I guess if things don't change in the future, I can't see myself being a fan of another team just because you know the sunk cost fallacy. I've put in so much fucking yeah, time into this team alone, but I'd probably watch less basketball in general for one, and then for two. I'd be pretty agnostic. Like I just root for whoever's good out there, but um, hopefully that, that reality doesn't come to pass. I mean, yeah, I can't even imagine how much hurt I would feel if, if, if that ever came to fruition. So fingers crossed, it's not going to happen. Also, it's funny that you talk about the first part of your response, like watching a lot less basketball and being a more ambivalent fan of the league. It's kind of been me this season. Can't lie to you. And it's a lot more fun, I will be honest, because I'm not as depressed. Uh, <laughs> the one thing I'm glad for is uh, we're always authentic. 
um, and we're always going to give you what we are, what our genuine, what our genuine takes are. With one caveat, like obviously the one, two, three Cancun bit was just fun, like duh. But like, if you use your head, like yeah, we're we're not going to be bullshitting y'all. I hope this at least led to some new trains of thought, some new discussions that are maybe a little more constructive than the ones that we've had today, because uh, all of social media regarding the Mavs is kind of shit right now. Yeah, if there's one takeaway from all of this, it's that the front office as a whole is dysfunctional and this and there isn't just one person to point the blame to. It starts from the top and everybody has a share of it, but make no mistake, it's a holistic situation here. This has been our most depressing end of an episode yet. Like this is more depressing this has than been after the most game seven. De- or like game this three. has been the most depressing week um, for for Mavs fans in, in quite some time. It seems like ever since, ever since they drafted Luca, it was, you know, all sunshine and roses. But I feel like the vibes were kind of off all season. And maybe that's just a hindsight take. But there definitely were some things that happened during the season that we haven't seen in the past. Um, and so I think this is just kind of in line with some of those hunches that we've been getting over time. COVID definitely changed a lot of things. I think there are a lot of stories we're going to hear in the coming months and years about things that went down during this period. All right. Thanks for listening. And thanks for making our last episode the most listened Mass Film Room podcast of all time. We really, really appreciate it. And as always, continue to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast. Follow us on Mavs Twitter or follow us on Twitter at Mavs Film Room and never miss a fire tweet from our account because that is all we tweet. And hey, on the bright side, you probably are not going to have to watch Josh Richardson play basketball for the Dallas Mavericks next season. Probably. The snack that smiles back, goldfish.